Oh, man. This is the most exciting thing I've seen since Haley's Comet collided with the moon. That never happened, Dad. Sure it didn't. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Saturday. Happy weekend to you, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour, if our luck holds up. And of course, we're ably assisted in that regard by tall guy Nathan. He's at the board once again of a Saturday. Nathan, how are you doing today? Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. I'm doing well. And as we're welcoming everybody into the show here, I'll just say a little welcome to the Seattle Kraken to the NHL. And it Seems to me like a lot of the NHL is really giving them a warm welcome into the league. They should. Gary and I have been advocating for the uh, for the National Hockey League to be in Seattle for years, years and years. We said, why is there there's no hockey team in Seattle? It didn't make any sense to us. And now they finally have one. We watched the first game, and even though they lost the first game, they showed themselves very well, especially mm-hmm. coming back in the third period. Oh, so, the city of Seattle and environs should be proud of the Kraken. Yep, we, we are Kraken fans. We'll be watching them play on TV. Well, for us, uh, I know that the Kraken had a really good warm welcome in Las Vegas with that great production of the introduction before the Seattle Kraken took the ice. And then after the Kraken took uh, the first win against the Preds, they put a little banner up on their rafters that said, gave Seattle Kraken their first win. Oh, no. So <laughs> oh. everybody's giving them a really warm welcome. I'm excited to see what the rest of the teams in the NHL will do for the Kraken and how long or however long it may go. Yeah. You know, we saw the first game. We didn't see the second game. No, we did we, not. We were oblivious to game number two. We saw the first goal. Scored by a Seattle Craig. And of course, I'll forget the guy's name now. I'm trying to remember it. But <laughs> okay. congratulations. Yeah. Made some history there. Yeah. I love the way they fought back in the third period because they they looked in the first two periods of the first game. The Kraken looked like a bunch of guys there who found themselves either in a band or cast in a play. And they're trying to say, okay, now when I, I scratch my ear that's when you give the funny line and then the other guy will come around and he's going to trip into something or slip on a banana and then we all laugh and go there was some conscious direction of these guys who are new playing with each other trying to gel and it's pretty hard to do with a short preseason and then all of a sudden it's on and it's your first game and the world of hockey is looking at you and Seattle has these wonderful expectations. You're not exactly going to be smooth as silk, but they came pretty close in that third period where they came storming back. I was very impressed. And not to mention the two teams that they've played so far are both top tier teams. So the fact that they're putting up really competitive numbers against them gives a lot of hope for the season. And I know some people are saying maybe like in the first year that the Kraken might make it to the playoffs. We heard that, yeah. Yeah. Because, because a lot of good people will come from many different teams to create that new team. And I was looking for familiar names. Uh, a couple of the Tampa Bay Lightning people went to the Kraken. Mm-hmm. And so um, and so we'll, we'll be following them because we have become hockey fans in, of all places, Florida. We, we've become <laughs> hockey fans. Until the Rays woke up. 
and especially until Tom Brady hit town, it's all we had. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and now, now all of a sudden they call us title town and whatnot, which is pretty amazing if you've lived here any length of time, because you're not used to that level right. of success. Right. It was always losing teams. And now we got winning teams going on here. So it's kind of weird, but eventually that will go away and get spread out all over the country. Before we bring on, uh, bring in our honored guest of the hour, our pal, and she did it on short notice too, Eileen Grimes, you know her, she'll be on after us doing what she does only more of it. But I wanted to ask you, uh, Nathan, about fan reaction. Now, I'm going to take a stab here. I am going to guess that there were some murmurings, maybe some outright complaints voiced about the fact that you've got a brand new team. So this is their inaugural season with all of the hoopla, with all of the anticipation going back decades. If you're a Seattle hockey fan, thank you. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And when you get your team, the first thing they do is send you out on the road for what, four or five games before five. you get to play your yeah. first home game. Yeah. Five. That weren't people saying like, Hey, how come we're not opening at home and Pittsburgh's playing us in Seattle. That's why I'm so in awe of what the Las Vegas golden Knights did for the Seattle Kraken when they came to their home rink and just put yeah. this great production onto the ice just for them. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see what it's yeah. like for their first home game. I mean, I'm probably not going to be going to it, but I know that the Seattle Kraken fans and those uh, waiting for them to come to Seattle, we've basically hit a new record as far as merchandise sales go for NHL mm -hmm. hockey. Yeah. Oh, you know what? And deservedly yeah. so and for ready. design purposes. There, I look at the Kraken uniforms, I'm going, Psh. This is a nice uniform. Nice really. uniform, big S on the front. I yeah. should get one just you anchors know. on Good the side. Good road uniforms. <laughs> Sometimes road uniforms are lackluster. Not in this case. I think the Kraken looked fantastic. And yes, there was a symmetry. There was a purpose, I'm sure, to having the two newest teams play each other. But, you know, I'm going to be selfish here on behalf of the Kraken in Seattle. I think, okay, if you're going to welcome them, how come they have to go to Las Vegas? I know there's bigger issues to worry about in this world there, but I'm thinking that if the Golden Knights are going to play the newer team, the brand new team, let's do it in Seattle. Let's be hospitable. And they didn't do it that way. It was in reverse and they got treated to, let's face it, a rather intimidating show beforehand. Like you're like gladiator walking into the Coliseum for the first time and you're just gaping in awe. And they created that atmosphere. I thought, you know what? It would have been great in reverse to inaugurate a team. This is why they didn't make me commissioner of the NHL. <laughs> that is exactly why they did not it, make you commissioner. Although his name is Gary. So, you know, there's <laughs> oh, okay. that. All right. Be that as it may. He can get booed at every Stanley Cup final. I don't know what that's about either. When he's getting ready to present the champions with the, the great trophy of hockey, the highest point in their lives. First thing is the crowd boos the hell out of you. I guess it's just all in good fun. Speaking of good fun, guess who we have today? Oh, I already mentioned. We're talking to Eileen Grimes, our friend, someone who introduced me and you, Suzanne, to Facebook. I yes. mean, and yeah. she has been so companionable over the years here on AM 1150. It's just for us almost an act of religious devotion to bring her on once <laughs> or twice a year. We are in our 15th year, and Eileen has been with us from the beginning. Before she had her own show, she was a sponsor of Manson Mitchell. 
Then she got found her own voice and she has a very successful show following ours, Jupiter Rising yes. on Saturday. And we have broken bread with her many a time. She's one of those guests we have met in person many, many times. And so we are always happy to bring her on to our show and talk us some astrology. Absolutely. Welcome to Manson Mitchell. And while you're saying hello, I'm going to look up and see how many times you've been on. Well, why don't you go ahead and do that? Hello, Eileen Grimes. Welcome, my dear. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What a lovely welcome that was. Thank you. Well, you know, all I have to say to you, Gary, is if it hadn't been for you, I wouldn't have this show. Oh, okay. Well, you and I go back to the yeah. the, the dim mists of radio history in Seattle. Yeah. There in getting to know each other when I was answering the phone overnight, you kept calling and we got to be friends. That's right. Yeah, and I was on what's his name show, which we won't name on <laughs> on that show and on that station. And you know, and um I sent you my book because you were going to have him interview me about my book. You know, and the rest is history, I think. You know, Okay. The answer is today is two dozen. Ah, 24, 24 times. times in 15 oh, wow. years. Got to be some numerological significance there. Probably does, One of the yeah. things I wanted to ask you about, Eileen, let's, let's get right down to the business of business here. Okay. You wrote a marvelous book about perhaps the most famous shipwreck of all time, the Titanic. I mean, it's attained a glory beyond the horror. When you get enough decades past the terrible thing that happened, the destruction of the Titanic, the enormous loss of life, people have attached over the years a certain romance to the Titanic and its tragic fate. You wrote a book that put it in more of a metaphysical and certainly an astrological context. Today, this many years after you wrote it, and I forget its publication date, but this many years later, do you still feel as though that story has currency with people who want to find out what happened that horrible night? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And usually it comes from their curiosity about how their perhaps past lives played into that, you know, and that's what I've, I've talked to a lot of people that I interviewed them for my book that have felt such a strong connection to Titanic and it certainly did show in their astrological chart their connection to it you know and one gal that I talked to said she she had actually had a a book bag that she carried on her back and it said on the book bag I died on the Titanic (laughs) and you know you know and I could see in her chart that it looked like she was a female and it looked like she died from head wounds I mean maybe the the uh, tunnel came down, hit her in the head like I did many people, you know, how they lost their lives on that, you know. And I said, well, do you have a bump on your head? She says, yes, I have a bump, you know, right, you know, and it really bothers me. I said, well, I have a feeling that may be left over from the past life, from the Titanic, because it was the most recent past life. So, um, yeah, and she's she had Titanic everything in her room. She was just a, a walking a shrine to that event. You know, and I was glad I got to talk to her because she was very interesting. But a lot of people feel that way about this. I mean, there's conventions every year, Titanic convention, you know, and people go to that. And, and, you know, even there's no more living people that came from that. I mean, the last people died several years ago. But those people that had been on the Titanic were literally revered as gods at those conventions. You know, because they were on this huge event and, you know, it happened and all that stuff. 
So it, it has really been mythologized way beyond many events in history. I would even say even more than tw- um, 9-11. It's got a mystique about it. It's, uh, it's romanticized extremely a lot. You know, the thing is, because it happened on water, now, it seems like water seems to involve a lot of romantic type of things, you know, meeting somebody on the water on a cruise or, you know, taking a, a, a sea venture somewhere. It's very romantic to do because it, it reels water and water is very romantic and it's it's water and water is sloshy and all this other stuff. So um, it has to do with Neptune. So, I mean, Neptune is the ultimate uh, romantic planet in your chart. So, Yeah. You know, decades ago, Eileen, <clears throat> I would have thought that you were some kind of Looney Tunes talking the <laughs> I way I still that do. Yeah, I do. And, <laughs> and you might be, for all I know. But it's interesting when we have talked to so many people about past lives, past life regression, little children mm-hmm. who come in at two, three, four years old, and they're telling you about, you know, where they just were yeah. and what their name was and where they lived and who they were married to and their kids. And it all turns out to be factual. Mm-hmm. I would have to say, if somebody is that obsessed with the Titanic and feels like they may have um, died on that ship, I would no longer be all that skeptical about it. No. No, because when you have that kind of an obsession, I mean, that that tells me you could have been there. Oh, absolutely. It would have to be because it is a continuation from the last lifetime to this lifetime. And, you know, it's sort of a hangover, you know, that nothing has been resolved from that event. Really, nothing was, you know, you fall off the ship or you, you know, you die in, in the wreck. But, you're, you know, the resolution, dying that way accidentally, is there's no resolution to that. You don't just have a nice, clean, tidy death. You basically have un- you have tied ends that aren't tied. So when you incarnate, you have that show up in your life. And that shows up in a person's chart. It really, really does. Like that one girl that I was talking about, it really showed up. Something fierce, you know, and... um what I was looking at, and it doesn't give you a brief story of, of how what I did is I took um, about as many people as I could find birth data from that event itself. About 2,000 people looked at their charts and saw that there was a similarity, a signature in each one of those charts that lined right back up with the moment the Titanic sank. So I, I just sort of thought, well, you know, we could say that those particular planets in the signs that they were in are definitely associated with that event itself and how important, you know, those planets were. I mean, like, for instance, John Jacob Astor was born um, July 15th. I can't remember, 1864. God, how can I remember that? But I do. But he was born then. And at the time that the Titanic sank, Neptune was transiting right over his sun. I mean, that's that's a huge transit. I'm having that one right now. I know it's big. You know, it was as Neptune is moving right over in Cancer, right over his son, and he died on the sea. You know, what more can you tell me than, you know, that? So, um, I mean, you can look at astrology for for things like, you know, signatures in the chart, but also can, it can tell you what, what could happen. You know, it can forecast stuff, but uh, using uh, astrology for forecasting is more to look at how you deal with things socially rather or psychologically than you do with specific events 
especially your death. I don't think it would be a good idea, even though I've heard it's possible. I don't think it would be a good idea to figure out when no. it is that you're going to die. I, I, I just don't like that idea. There's something I've always been wanting to have answered. And I think you led me right into it, Eileen. <laughs> and that is that you're talking about uh, charts lining up and looking at transits right. and seeing signatures of people's charts today that would indicate that they might have had a relationship to Titanic. And my question yeah. that I've always wanted to know is, do you see as an astrologer, a relationship between where somebody leaves astrologically and where they re-enter astrologically? Mm -hmm. Would you, for example, uh, be born uh, under a sign of Pisces and mm -hmm. then leave under a sign of uh, something else of right. uh, Aquarius and then be born again under Aquarius or Pisces, or is it much more random than that? It's actually more specific than that. Actually, let me give you really, yes, because there's two entities in the chart that we look at for evolutionary process. Okay, the south and the north node. Those are not planets. They are points in the chart that actually equate to the ecliptic of the moon. And so when you have a south node, the south node means that you have come into this lifetime with a whole bunch of traits, a whole bunch of talents, a lot of gifts, according to the sign that it's in. Okay, so um, those are already developed in your soul. You're, you see, one of the things we never do, we never come in as, you know, a clean slate. We don't. We have a whole lot right. of DNA right. already programmed yep. into our system, comes from our mom and our dad and our families and all that. That that ends up being a part of us. Okay. But, you know, if you're looking at that south node, there's really actually no growth involved with those particular things that you go through with the south node because you've already done it from a previous lifetime. Why do the same thing over again? Maybe there's things you have to learn again, certain parts of the chart you have to learn about. But the overall purpose of somebody who is trying to evolve to the next point is the North Node. And the North Node is the pathway of most resistance. It's the pathway where you have least amount of experience. I remember talking to a client one time. I said, well, your North Node says this. And she says, that's the one area that I'm extremely afraid to take a dip into. I said, of course you're afraid because it's unknown. It's stuff that you don't have any idea what it is, but when it plays out, then you know what happens when you've taken the step into the North Node. Something happens, you go through a North Node issue, your soul expands immediately, and you can actually feel it when it happens. Everything expands in your life because it opens up new doors for you. So that's good, and that also will show us, to the North Node will likely show us where you're going to be in a post-lifetime, next lifetime. You know, that's what I was going to yeah. ask. Yeah. yeah, it does. You know, because it shows wow. the pathway we're going to take in the next lifetime and we'll take off the next time. And when we're born again and with that particular psychological framework. So, you know, the South Node, you've done that already. You've been there, done that, got that T-shirt. Don't want to do it again. But we still have to include the South Node because we have to have things that we can fall back on or where we want to feel comfortable. Because if we did North Node all the time, we'd be stressed out.
So <laughs> the be? south node you said is talents and gifts. Yeah. And that's the south node is stuff that we've already experienced. Yep. It, in a prior lifetime. Yes, in a prior and, life. And, yes. And but okay. but we also have to deal with some of it this lifetime because we have the north node beckoning us to go exactly the opposite place. You know. So this so this life is a bridge between the south node and the north yeah, node. It is. And it is so you can't eliminate the south uh-uh. node. You take that with you to the north node. Right. You don't want to eliminate it because you need time to go back in and, and reassimilate what you've gone through and get wow. comfortable again. And that's the south node. That's important. We've got to have those places where we do that. But when we move to the north yeah. node, that means we're getting bored and it's time for us to move on to something interesting. You know, wow. so that's kind of how it works. So I have a south node in Leo. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I've definitely been royalty in a past life. I always felt like I was, you know, to the manor born when I grew up. But I'm learning how to do the north node in Aquarius. You know, and Aquarius is a sign of astrologers. So it's kind of perfect that I picked this, you know, thing to do. Mm. But um, but the thing is, I'm learning about detachment in a certain way. That, and it's also in relationships because it's in my seventh house. Uh-huh. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, when my astrologer, Stephen Forrest, said to me, well, one thing you have to do is get married. Let's <laughs> say, get married. No problem. I've been married once, but it'll probably be another one along the line. But um, I, I go to my south note a lot because it's in the first houses, I'm singular there. I don't need to have anybody else around me to fill any gaps in. You know, so I don't, but that's also very comfortable for me. And I tend to spend a lot of time there and I have to usually get out of that, get into relationships with people in order for me to grow. Wow. Makes that's sense? excellent. That's yeah. excellent. Thank you. Gary? I want to bring up another term. And by the time we're done, you folks will be wishing I was talking about hockey again. But anyway, <laughs> it's easier to understand. <laughs> when we talk about the role of the stellium. That's the word I've been waiting all week to mention to you, Eileen, the stellium. Is it advantageous? Is it especially favorable for someone to be born under a stellium, which loosely understood is three is it three, three placements more. in one sign in right. under the sign or in a house in your birth chart? It's in a sign. Yeah. It's in a sign. And okay. it's within 10 degrees of each other. You know, three of them sit okay. next to each other. They're within 10 degrees. So they basically all meld into one energy. Okay. And when they meld into one energy, it sounds to me like a neutral comment, because what if they meld into an energy that creates a tough life for you? It could be that way. You never know. You have to look at aspects to that and all that. But a stellium, basically, if you see somebody who has a stellium, their life is focused. And that's what you're looking at in a stellium anyway. You have three entities, three planets in your chart that are tied into one energy. It's sort of like taking a a chariot and putting three horses on it. So you don't know which way they're going to go, but you have to go one has to go one way. The other two have to come the same direction. Okay, so they're going to be following in like with that. So if you say you have Mercury and you have the Sun or Venus all, you know, in a a stellium, you're going to do things in a pretty way. You're going to be Mercury in there and the Sun is your identity. So those are all going to meld into one energy. You're not going to be able to actually pinpoint each one of them individually. They're all going to act like they're all one, you know. And so, I mean, I've seen people with 
unbelievable stelliums. I mean, I'm thinking of my favorite musician here who's got a stellium in Scorpio. And uh, his life is interesting, but he has four planets in Scorpio. And Who are we talking about, Eileen? Bruce Hornsby. Bruce Hornsby. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, by the way, he's a brand new grandfather right now. Is he? Yeah. He just had his son had a child, a, a little daughter named Lila Ann, and I have her chart information. So I'm going to be writing about her on his next um, update that I do at the end of this next month. So I'm. In a, in a stellium, you're talking about three of the same planet. Maybe not. You might. Okay. This is how oh, this three, three different planets, but they're all in one astrological sign. Okay. I would think in some cases that would be pretty common. No, it's not. Or do common. they all have to be in one house together? No, the house doesn't matter. You can have them circuiting over two houses, you know, like from the fourth to the fifth house. Oh, but you said they had to be within 10 degrees? Degrees of each other, right. They have to be within 10 degrees. degrees. Okay, because I've got a whole bunch of planets in Aries, but I don't know that they're within 10 degrees. So I'm going to go look at my chart after we get offline. You don't need to look that up. I'll I'll check that out. um, computer here, I could look it up for you. No, that's okay. I'll, I'll write no, I during the break. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me. As you look ahead there, one of the things and one of the reasons that prompted my phone call to you, Eileen, earlier in the week is that we seem to be, and to what extent this is significant will be up to you to explain, but we seem to be coming out of retrogrades as many as three of them that have had more than the typical nuisance impact that you get with Mercury retrograde, which also can help solve problems because your past seems to roll forward into your present so that you can deal with various issues and people be that as it may, are we not also exiting a Saturn retrograde? Yes, we are. It's gone direct. It went direct, I believe on the, uh, it went on the 11th, I think. Yeah. Now, with that being the case, and because I have heard by uh, mutual friends, as a matter of fact, say to me that with Saturn, you're dealing with either a cosmic cop who's there to write tickets uh-huh. or a kind of cosmic report card that will tell you, particularly during a Saturn return, yeah. that here's where you are, here's where your efforts or lack of effort has gotten you to this point. And then it points to where you need to go or what in general terms you need to do to live a more fulfilling life. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's pretty much right. You know, we're going to add the fact that Saturn actually relates to our career, which is not necessarily your job, but your career. Your career is a lifetime goal and what you do in the world to make a difference. You know, and so if you have a 10th house, then the career is more important than, say, the 6th house, which is just your 9 to 5 job. But Saturn, I mean, I can't even, I talk more about Saturn than any other planet, you know. And I have a Saturn in my 3rd house opposing my Mercury. That's a double whammy. But that means I have Saturn on the brain most of the time when I'm thinking. So um, it, it it's it's accountability. It's about, you know, your own productivity. It's about your ability to have integrity with yourself and other people. It is a really wide range of things. And of course, the Saturn return happens every 29 and a half years or 28 and a half years when you're 29 years old. And then when you are 58 or nine, and then at 87 is the third Saturn return. If you happen to live that long. 
So, <laughs> so we know that uh, Ms. Betty White lived through that a few years ago. She had her third Saturn return, and she had a renewal of her career. She got back into popularity at her age, you know. So, I mean, she, and she's a Capricorn. She's ruled by Saturn, so that makes mm. us. And she has Saturn stationary in, his, in her chart. That's the book that I'm writing about right now, our stationary planets. Those are really important, really important, you know. I mean, you can look at a chart and you can see what their actions are, what they do in their life, and it doesn't reflect anywhere in their birth chart. You have to look at the stationary planets to see those things. So, okay. So uh, You have put so much time over the mm-hmm. My God, when did you start studying all of this, Eileen? 1990. So this has been now over 30 over years, 30 years you've dedicated yeah. yourself to this. And I take it it's not hit and miss with you. This has become part of your DNA in this oh, lifetime. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't looking to be an astrologer. I had no goals in that regard at all when I was growing up. And when I hit the 30th year, I went through a, a, two, a big thing that happened that got me into astrology. I got a divorce from my husband. You know, and that happened under a major astrological transit. But it also helped me find what I really love and what I'm passionate about. So um, I ended up, I ended up starting it. I was starting to take classes. I had a friend who I did a reading for. This is the story of how I got into it. I did a reading for, or I was going to talk to him about some business that I was going to do with him. It had nothing to do with astrology. And he had my chart there, and he read it. He says, well, you know, it looks like you're going to have some really interesting stuff hit you here in a few months, like your husband and you're going to probably not be together and all that stuff. Well, he was right. and um, But it, it ended up being that I found something that I was so delightfully fascinated with, and I knew that it was a part of my DNA. Um, my grandmother was an astrologer, and I found that out later on. And so um, I, I actually do have her in my head quite a bit when I'm asking for a question that I need to have answered. Uh, Granny, what do you think? He says, well, and she, I'll hear her voice in my head and tell me exactly where I need to look, and it's right. So um, she's a guide for me, and she's pretty awesome. So it, it turned out that, you know, um, it got to be... Such a passion that I wrote my first book on the, on the Titanic, and now I'm working on the second book now, which I'm hoping to get it done by next year. So um, it's is it's, your second book also going to be about the Titanic or something else or a, some other boat? <laughs> a stationary planet. That's what it's about. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Well, can yeah. we go ahead and take a break? Yes, we can. It's our show. When it's oh, her I'm show, sorry. she decides the break. <laughs> We'll decide who takes a break around here. (laughs) All right. We're going to take a break, Um, a brief break, and then we'll be right back with Eileen Grimes, host of Jupiter Rising, which follows Manson Mitchell on Saturdays. And we are talking with Eileen Grimes. So stay tuned. We'll be back in a few. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days. And I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures Detail in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. 
Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mance and Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Von Brashler to talk about time shifts and the ability to slip into both the past and the future. On Saturday, Mary Beckman returns with all her versatility to discuss ways and means of being spiritual in a challenging world. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10, right here on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Eileen Grimes. With her own theme song whenever yeah, she's on our show. Yeah, that brings back memories. I love it's, that song. I just love I it. I know. We always play that for you. I heard him sing that live. Oh. Yeah, I was in the third row from the front, too. I heard him sing Oh, my that. goodness. Oh, no wonder. He was wonderful. Eileen. People can listen to your show right after our show. Yes, they can. But tell them, what is your website? And if people want to get more information about you or get a reading from you, how would they do that? Okay, they can go to my main website, which is Eileen Grimes, E-I-L-E-E-N-G-R-I-M-E-S dot com. And also JupiterRisingShow.com also has a site as well. And if they want to get a hold of me for a reading, they can call me at 206-816-0546. Excellent. Thank, Thank you. you. You bet. This, this part of fortune of which you speak, please tell us more about that. Because to my naked ear, what it sounds like is the part of fortune is where the universe throws a little sport into it. Well, it throws you a lot of good luck what it does it, but does it oh, part of fortune yeah. can be good fortune or perhaps adversity though eileen so is part of fortune associated with the positive aspects only well you know something um since since suzanne has the part of fortune up there next to her son and jupiter i would add jupiter's flavor in there too so for her you know if she was going to have any any actual wonderful sort of benefits it may come from adversity first because jupiter is known to do it that way like you have something icky and then on the other (laughs) side of it something great happens because of that it's something you actually have to release you know and she has jupiter right up there next to the sun so financially she's always benefited from things this is good so it's um it just depends on your um 
your perspective and how it actually plays out for you when you have, you know, Jupiter involved. But it really has to do, you know, it just depends on if if a part of fortune is going to be good for you, maybe you need to have the adversity first in order to appreciate the win that comes later on, especially if it's Jupiter. Jupiter, it's amazing. Jupiter is actually the planet that indicates how you're going to die. You know, who, oh, <laughs> you know, how, it. well, <laughs> or, you know, or one way it yeah. could happen is because you're right. taking a long distance trip, way long, you know, yeah. out of your body and everything else. But it's, it mm. is actually an opportunity for the person who has it to get clear of things and just step out, you know, you know, I, I if I can relate to this at all. It is the feeling of adversity with regard to relationships before I met Gary, mm-hmm. when uh, in my previous uh, uh, existence before Gary, I had actually gotten to a point in my life where I consciously stopped dating. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I had not been married. I had been dating for a long time. And I said, uh, I'm never going to find anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, my career is important. My hobbies are important. And so when people were saying, oh, I know somebody who would be perfect for you. I, I started saying, no, thank that's all right. I'm just yeah. happy being single. Right. And yeah. so I consciously stopped mm-hmm. dating. Uh, and that was adversity not to have a, a partner, ha- not have love in my life in that way, because I had all these other compensating things going on. Right. And so I would consider that an ad- adversity for me. Oh, sure. Yeah. And then I, I moved to Seattle and I met him almost immediately mm-hmm. when I got to Seattle. Yeah. Like I, right away, within the first month of my yeah. being in Seattle, I met him. Well, you know, the thing about that is, let me, I I already have an answer for you. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Because, you know, on your seventh house, that's your marriage house, and it's your house of relationships, you have Pisces there. Now, that tends to be a little funny when it gets to relationships. You tend to put on the rose-colored glasses and put, look at somebody through this wonderful romantic haze and think they're wonderful, and then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you realize they had a knife under their bed. Now, I'm exaggerating there, but you know what I'm saying. It's like we don't tend to see things in a realistic eye with Pisces on that house. So that may be one of the reasons that you gave up relationships, that you kept having relationships that didn't quite meet your criteria, your needs. No. At no, all. I didn't. You know, yeah. and, and in fact, as you may not even known what your needs were, you know, just kind of hoped and prayed that somebody would come along on a white horse and take you away, you know, and, and that's kind of what Pisces seems to do. It's idealizes love. And then you also have Venus in the eighth house, and that adds the scorpionic side to to um, to your your Venus, which it attracts people that you feel like are your soulmates. OK, but, you know, there's issues with that, too. So what you had to do, I think it's had to do with. When you moved up to Seattle, you surrendered, which is Pisces. You surrendered yeah. what yeah. you had done in the past. You realized, well, that didn't work, so I'll have to do something else. So when I do, but I'll leave it until it comes back around for me to look at. So I think that's what happened to you. That's my hmm. that's my professional guess. All right. Yeah, we'll, we will take that. Uh, let me throw something at you. I can't say from left field. I'm going to say. But I'll throw it from the clubhouse or the locker room at you. 
And that is, and I ask this with all due seriousness and respect, because I regard Russell Wilson as one of the true gentlemen of the NFL. Uh I have a very high regard for him. And I'm sorry that he went down with this injury. He's going to have to miss by being put on injured reserve. The Seahawks are saying that he's not available for at least the next three games. Yeah. Dems the rules. Yeah. When you look at Russell Wilson, Could you go into his chart or have you already to see what it is that happened? What is the prognosis in astrological terms, not to be confused with medicine, but astrologically, what seems to be going on there and what lies ahead for Mr. Wilson? Oh, boy, I'm not sure if you're going to like my answer. Yes, I've looked at it. I've looked at it a lot. I've analyzed this chart. I actually did it on Facebook, too. Um, He's a Sagittarius, is born um, November 29th, I think, 1989, something like that. Sagittarius, and he has some, and he has a moon in Leo. Now, this is interesting. A moon in Leo definitely wants to be center stage and, you know, be, he's a handsome guy. He looks good in a suit. He always dresses up for, you know, the, the, and the um, interviews afterwards on the show, you know, and so that's his Leo because he wants to look that way and his, his, personality is very Leonian. However, he made a quote, and now this is something I'm coming back to that he said in some sort of interview. He says, I want to be an icon and a legend. And I just thought, oh my word. Okay. Okay. So if I, if he were here right now, I would say, what have you set yourself up for, Russell? You icon and a legend? That's like the top of the so far beyond the top of the heap, you know, that he's the biggest thing that ever hit football. You know, he's going to be a legend. He's going to be iconic, all that stuff. When you have somebody who has probably had all this positive upbringing and, and reinforcement from his father, for sure. But, you know, to have that happen, he, you know, for him to take a step back, which he's had to do now because of the injury, this has to be really hurting inside because he has expectations way off the beam to me, way beyond what most more mortal people would have for his expectations for his life. He's going to play until he's 40 or something. You know, you know, that's actually not realistic. So, I mean, I don't like to criticize. He's a heck of a player. You know, we know that. And he's extremely consistent. But he had an injury to his finger take him out. Think about how minor Mm -hmm. that is in context with the rest of his body. He could have had something really bad affect him. But it was his finger, his middle finger, too, which I thought was interesting, too. You know, I I look at symbology everywhere. So I I just figured that um, he's going to have to, and I wrote this on, on Facebook, he's going to have to adjust his own inner expectations is he going to be a legend? Is he going to be an icon? Why not be the best he can be? You know, and leave it at that. You know, the icon and the legend is putting a lot of pressure on himself to really perform. Do you know what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm... I know what you're I'll tell you who else knows what you're saying. Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. Yeah. He made the, a comment, and I can't quote it verbatim, I don't recall. But what he indicated was that he looked at Tom Brady is that North Star yeah. for his own career. He oh, would yeah. like to be like Tom Brady. Yeah. First of all, there is exactly one Tom Brady in the history of the NFL. Yeah. So much the same applies. Why don't you yeah. be the best 
Patrick Mahomes you can be yes. because for most teams, that's going to be plenty good enough. Yeah, right. And, you know, him being Sagittarius, there is a tendency to get bigger than oneself. I mean, Jupiter's the ruler here, and Jupiter's a big guy out there. And it's saying, the more I feel about good about myself, the better I'm going to be. And, you know, and be the best I can be. I have. I want to be an icon. I want to be a legend. I just went, no, no, no. It means he's asking to be Superman, you know, and none of us can do that. We can be as great as we are meant to be, but not, you know, on the, on the legendary part of him that wants to be that kind of. The fact that he's had is his winning, his, his starting streak interrupted. That's bad enough for him. He's started for how many games for the past seven, eight seasons without a break? You know, all of that stuff. And now he has to face being human. Yeah, he has to. He has an injury to his finger. Yeah, I mean, he's shattered the bone in his, his finger. You know, that's going to take a few weeks to heal. But it's actually, I think it's great. He has to sit out and kind of, you know, I know that Ciara calls him her king. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, I just go, well, okay. But, you know, if if that goes up to your head and you start to live that way, that's going to be kind of problematic, especially when you have something like this actually take you down from that point. That's the sad about, about trying to live beyond being a human being. And it's wonderful that we're human beings, but we want to be on, go beyond it. And then we have something happen that takes us down. The fall is great. It's huge for the person. So that's my, that's my opinion. Yeah, on whether, that. whether or not we perceive it that way, it's how they're perceiving yes, it. Exactly. And, and so what, what we could almost, you know, kind of shrug off as well, it's just a broken finger and I'm sure it'll be yeah, fine. That's huge. That's to, like a broken. Him, right. It's like his whole body is in a body cast. Yes, exactly. When you're a top notch right. passer, especially. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So so his his feelings about it are going to be considerably more yeah. than people who are not him. You know, and the thing that also happened astrologically for him, there was a Saturn transit and believe over his ascendant. OK, and that's a major transit when it happens. So mm. Saturn is the in effect that stops him dead in his tracks. He can't go any further right now at all. He has to sit and he has to mend. He has to sit down and figure out what the heck he's doing with himself. You know, mm. self-analysis, self-evaluation, all of those things are Saturnian processes. So this happened right around the time that Saturn was right there on his ascendant. So that makes perfect sense that something would come along and go, okay, you have a really, you know, Saturn would ask him, you know, you, you've been getting a little too full for things here. Why don't you back off and be a human for a while, Okay. I'm not believing it or not. I'm not cutting him down at all. He's wonderful. But I also see him as a human being, you know, and now he's getting to be a human being. So getting to be a human being in our fallible humanity will out, which allows me to pivot to a very controversial, uh, controversial gentleman of this week, especially. And I'm talking about the most famous coach of them all currently, who's now an ex-coach, John Gruden. Oh, I followed John Gruden's career for quite a while, including in the ESPN booth where I thought he was terrific at what he did. Yeah. But while he was working for ESPN, he did some things that weren't so terrific. Yeah, I heard about and that. Yeah. 
Yeah. He needed a good communications supervisor, I think. Yeah. When you look at someone like Tom, uh, John Gruden, do you see someone who, no, I'm not saying you got to, you know, go run and look up his chart, but oh, I haven't done at that, a time in his, <laughs> on, have you been looking at him? No, too? I haven't actually looked at it. And I thought about looking at it because of what stopped him, you know, where all of his prejudices just came flying to the flying up to the top, you know. And And if you had said at the beginning of the season that this was going to be the foreshortening of a great career, he won one Super Bowl already with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Right. When you look at that situation in a person's life, you have to be sitting down with your loved ones and say, where did I go wrong? I thought I was being a jock. I'm just, I'm joking around and yeah, I'm using a lot of rough language, but I really didn't mean to hurt anybody. There's a disconnect there. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, if you're not aware of it, but when somebody, this is kind of similar to Russell Wilson, but not really, you know, that, that his ego was fairly large, I'm sure. So he felt he had a right to say those things in front of people, but he didn't realize that he was going to be penalized for it. You know, and this happens to uh, people that have reached a position of power and authority in the life, you know, and they make a step in the wrong direction. And they think that they're so powerful that, that they can outdo anything. So the mistake is doing that. And then they get, you know, they do a thing in astrology, which is a 12th house activity. It's called self undoing, you know, and when you undo yourself, that means everything kind of falls apart and you have to go basically go back to square one and start again. You know, we give up everything and have to start again. And that's, you know, never fun, but it, it takes consciousness for somebody to actually think that, you know, he can make all those comments and not get hurt by it, you know, or other people would hurt, be hurt by it. You know, the negative. Obviously, he had some pretty negative experiences with both those issues when she when he grew up, you know, and he basically formed an opinion about those things that were very, very destructive for him personally. So, uh, you know, this is the thing we see a lot. We see, we see it in like O.J. Simpson's chart. Man, that's just all over the place. You know how he self undid when he committed those murders. You know, how many years ago? A lot of people actually who reach a real position of power will do that. They'll completely do something that unwinds all of it. It's sad, but they're interesting people to to talk about and to study. Yeah. I find it interesting anyway. I do, too. Now that we've left this completely. In the... In the few minutes we have left, Eileen, I'd like you to just address very briefly um, this idea of the age of Aquarius. Okay. And what I had heard about that from you and other astrologers was that it's not a light switch that, you know, one day you're not in it and the next day you are, that that it is something that takes a lot of years. And I just wanted to ask you in this age of Aquarius, where are we now? And when can we expect to see something different? Okay. You know, this is really interesting because I think it's coming, you know, fairly soon. Uh, we've had a lot of planets go through a sign of Aquarius. So that would be indicators right there that there's movement happening towards that particular thing. Like Saturn is in Aquarius right now. Jupiter went through Aquarius not too far long ago. And, you know, uh, those are those are markers along the way. This is, oh, we have issues we have to deal with according to 
what astrology that that is related to Aquarius, which is equal rights for everybody, pretty much, you know. And so Pluto has been going through sign of Capricorn for about 14 years here. And we've been going through heck and back, you know, with the pandemic and everything like that. But Pluto is leaving the sign of Capricorn and moving into Aquarius next year. Okay. Uh, 2023 20, or 2022. 2022. Yes. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. And. And that, to me, will be the real beginning of okay. the age of Aquarius, because that's that's basically okay. all of everybody, the planet, soul-wise, all that stuff. It will be as though right. we all check into Aquarius Hotel to learn about Aquarius, <laughs> you know? And, so. <laughs> and, well, and it, with regard to that age of Aquarius, do I understand you to say that a number of planets have moved through Aquarius yeah. mm -hmm. and is Pluto bringing up the caboose on that or yeah. are there more planets going through Aquarius That's after exactly Pluto? how I would say it. it's the bottom line okay bottom line is Pluto okay. but there's been you know like a little flashes every now and then when planets have been going through Aquarius that we get a, a sense of it it's something that shows up and we look at it go oh yeah let's do that and then it goes away because that planet moves into a different sign. Now, Pluto will be staying in Aquarius for about 13 years. That's a long time to I deal with this that. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be a very positive time, but it means a lot of things are going to change, you know, yeah. and I mean, deeply change. I mean, the people, you know, the racist issue, that's going to change because anything that is not fair to everybody will go right out the window. It will. So, it's something that mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to next year, and it will come in with a real crash because when the planet first moves into a new sign, particularly Pluto, there are things that happen that herald that whole event for the next 13 years that'll happen. Do you know what when that's Pluto's moving into that? I, I'm putting you oh, on the spot a little oh, oh, bit. Oh, if I got time, let me, let me look it up. Okay, I got my ephemeris here, too. I'm so prepared. <laughs> yeah, I, I see you've got all your books and all your tools <laughs> and all tools your stuff. Okay, let because me see. I, I'm going to write that on my my 2022 calendar. I okay. think I'm <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this, and I've been hearing about the age of Aquarius since yep. Godspell all those years ago. Okay, and uh, and hair, you know, and hair. And, hair. and yeah, right. what I don't understand is someone born just after 1968. There be was born into a generation that hears about the age of Aquarius quite right. frequently. And some of those people, some of whom I know personally, have crossed over yeah. before, before getting today there, yeah. and before we ever get to this age of Aquarius. So that was a long trailer That's for right. a movie we have yet to see. That's right. Okay. I, I miss, misspoke there. It doesn't okay. start until March 2023. March. Okay. So hold your horses. Hold your horses. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on my calendar. March 2023. But in advance of 2024. Yeah, yeah right. Our next presidential election of year. Stay it's tuned. It's perfect. Yeah, I know. And it'll be about uh, equality. I mean, we are not yeah. doing equality at all right now at all. And this really, is, I this... hadn't noticed. Yeah. <laughs> we got to go. 24th. Mark, there's a go. show there's coming a show on coming after up. ours, Eileen, yeah. so oh, we're going to yeah. have to say yeah, goodbye. The show next is really good. I know the guy that or gal that does it. Uh, anyway. So do we. Yeah, and, uh, and we're going to be talking to Susan Bergstrom, who is the Medicare Exchange. She's going to talk about the open enrollment thing that's going on. And also okay. next, next, I'm so excited about this. We're doing for the Astro Celebrity of the Week, Tony Shalhoub, who was the star of Monk. 
That was Astro Celebrity. Thank you. Astro okay. Celebrity, yes. Th- thank you, Eileen. You're we're, welcome. We're out of time. Thank we'll you, my dear. Talk to you, you again. Betcha. Bye. 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 <laughs>